Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we're taking a look at women in hip hop. We're gonna, we're gonna take you back and show you some of the pioneers in the field of hip hop. And we're going to talk to a very special guest about the state of women in hip-hop today. That's right. Since uh, Caroline and I are admittedly not hip-hop aficionados, we have with us today in the studio Christina Lee, who is a music journalist who has been featured in RollingStone.com, MTV, BBC, all sorts of really cool places. So first of all, Christina, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so first off, let's just give a, a really brief synopsis of when hip hop started and just name check a few of the pioneers. Yeah. So hip hop culture was born in the 1970s. And I think it goes without saying that it's pretty much taken over the globe since then. And actually, we should point out that November was Hip Hop History Month, something that I did not realize. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. Um, and it was born supposedly on August 11th, 1973, and essentially a, a party that was happening. Um, Christina, do you know anything about this first? Not to put you on the spot, but do you know anything about the, the this birth of hip-hop in 1973? Well, basically, it was at a rec center party. It was just um, a DJ, like, you know, hovering over the turntables and like scratching the record. And that like, you know, that's pretty much how it began. Um, and then from there, it's kind of morphed and reshaped and all sorts of things. But yeah, it started at a party. Well, in hip hop culture, it should be noted also doesn't just include the music and what was going on at that party. It also ranges from DJing to breakdancing, graffiti, spoken word, urban fiction, and let's not forget street fashion, too. Yeah, and uh, in this podcast, we're going to focus more just on that music, but it is, yeah, worth remembering that this is an entire culture that we're talking about. It's an art form that goes beyond just scratching records. And from the get-go, there were women involved, even though a lot of times when you read about hip-hop today, I feel like I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I saw the phrase a boys club to describe it, I would, uh, well, I could... You'd have several dollars. I'd have a, I'd have a number of dollars <laughs> that I could use to buy a hip-hop record. Um, but let's go back, though, and just mention MC Shawrock, who was the first woman to join an established all-male hip-hop group called the Funky Four Plus One More. And yes, she was the plus one more. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I saw an interview, or not saw an interview, read an interview with MC Shaw Rock, and it, she's very clear. She's very clear about the fact that yes, she was technically the plus one more, but she is very aware of her contribution to hip hop. The, not the whole landscape, but also kind of ushering in more women in hip hop. But then let's jump forward to 1984, okay? Because that is when a woman named Roxanne Chante shows up on the scene with something called a diss track. Uh, and it was called Roxanne's Revenge. And it was res- a response to this group UTFO's song, Roxanne, Roxanne. And it not only put Roxanne Chante, obviously, on the map in the hip hop world, but it seems like it really put women in general on the hip-hop map for the first time. Because it was like, whoa, okay, she's not only coming out, she's coming out with a diss, and it's really good. 
Yeah, she basically used uh, her song as a way to let these guys know that they didn't deserve her. She was way better than them. And so as Feminista Jones over at Salon writes, it's this historic rap battle that set the tone for women who sought to enter the rap arena and compete with men. So not just getting into the game, but also kind of going head to head for attention, for for cred, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and just to do a quick hop, skip and a jump, because, Christina, we really want to talk to you about the state of women in hip hop today. Um, But from there, we have, for instance, in 1986, Salt and Peppa come out with Hot, Cool and Vicious, which is I mean, they're really the first like all female hip hop group to make it huge. And then you have in the 90s names emerge like Lil' Kim and Foxy Brown. And this is when you have that shift happening to um, these female MCs and rappers being really overt with their sexuality and this image or, or the, and this issue, I should say, of the representations, not only of women in rap, but also of how female MCs and female rappers represent themselves mm-hmm. and their sexuality is an issue that's often talked about. Um, but you have all these names, especially, I mean, like I said, Lil' Kim, Foxy Brown, but you also have DeBrat, Missy Elliott, Eve, all of these people, Lauren Hill. I remember listening to the oh, miseducation yeah. of Lauren Hill. No, I listened to that. I, I think I wore holes in my CD basically because I listened to it from the time it came out to, um, still now on my iPod. Yeah. Oh. It was the first rap CD I owned actually. Yeah. And it was, and it was amazing. And thinking back to when I was listening to it, I wish I had known what I was listening to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of like how good and how significant mm-hmm. it was. And so we have all of these and I haven't even mentioned all of them, but we have this legacy of these really powerful and successful women in hip hop who are doing new things and establishing this like new image of this particular kind of like hip hop womanhood in a way. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like in 2013, it's not so celebratory for women. I don't know. So, Christina, could you just talk to us first about sort of how how you see the representation of women in hip hop today i realize that's a broad question sure sure i mean um actually when i thought about the representation i actually thought to a recent interview that spike lee did for entertainment weekly about his old boy remake um the journalist had asked whether he was really excited about you know films like 12 Years a Slave and uh, The Butler, what seemed like a renaissance of black cinema. And Spike Lee just kind of laughed him off and was like, this happens once every decade. Once every 10 years, somebody says there's a renaissance in black cinema. And then for the other nine years, it gets completely ignored. And um, while hip hop isn't nearly, you know, obviously as old, I feel like right now, particularly with last year and the year before, there's been that same sort of coverage where it was just like, like, for example, like the Atlantic had to put out a piece that was like, no, female rappers are not a novelty just because there are a bunch of them around. Like the fact that that argument had to be made was really mm-hmm. sad. And then um, Trey, who's the MSNBC correspondent, but also has a history of writing for Rolling Stone, had like this New York Times piece about, you know, the rise of the white woman American rapper and was just like, well, they're not going to completely rewrite the history that hip hop has with black masculinity, but you know, they're, they're there and they're hanging out. Um, so I think that sort of cover it says a lot about the representation and that there's very 
little of it. Um, it's not really being covered. And a lot of the rappers who were being celebrated last year, a lot of newcomers, um, they just hadn't really put out music. Like Azalea Banks' album got, you know, delayed and delayed and delayed. And then in the meantime, it just seems like we've, I don't know, lost track of everyone else that was sort of heralded as the next best thing last mm-hmm. year. So. Well, I wonder too, like we can't hear enough, it seems, about white female pop stars. I mean, mm-hmm. all the stories about even still hearing about Britney Spears, mm-hmm. Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, and on and on and on. And there's so much conversation around them. And I wonder if the portrayal and role of of like white women in pop and mm-hmm. how that's seen differently and covered differently than women in hip hop, you know? Yeah. I think that pop's relationship with hip hop has become really interesting and in that um, a lot of the pop stars that you've mentioned have sort of taken to like having a hip hop song on their album. Like Lady Gaga had T.I. Twista and Too Short on her album. Uh, Katy Perry's only guest was like Juicy J. Miley Cyrus obviously worked with uh, Mike Will Made It, uh, the producer out of here in Atlanta, and had him executive produce her album, not to mention that she titled it Bangers. Um, so I do sometimes wonder whether their sort of taking toward hip hop has created this new sort of standard for a female rapper and that honestly it sort of seems like Nicki Minaj and Katy Perry could have shared a wardrobe like mm-hmm. a couple years ago. And um, and I wonder also, like, whether DeBrat or Missy Elliott, for as much of a hard time as they had coming out when they did for not looking like little Kim, um, how much harder of a time they would have had now. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, so speaking of artists like Missy Elliott, who, you know, maybe, as you said, wouldn't be as successful if they were trying to come out today. I mean, there is the issue of falling record sales, people not going out and buying as many records. And so the industry is trying to push to the front these artists, male or female, who they know will make money. And so I'm wondering, you know, artists like Nicki Minaj, it seems like she's the only person that the mainstream media even talks about when it comes to women in hip hop and black female artists today. And so how do you think that financial music industry element plays into it? Um, I think with the music industry and having to do, to deal with declining sales, um, kind of like you said, wants to bet on the safest bets possible. And a lot of times in hip-hop, that reduces down to um, dudes who want to go out in the club and then, like, females who are willing to, you know, play along with all that. So I guess, like, especially as of right now, Nicki Minaj is kind of, proven herself, especially like with the releases of her albums, proven that she has that crossover appeal, which is really crucial um, to hip hop in particular. I mean, basically, like, I don't know, this hypothetical question just runs through my mind over and over again. It's like, in particular, 2013, seeing a lot of huge releases from these big names like Jay-Z, Kanye, Eminem, Drake, all of them being male or whatever. And um, especially now, and especially since hip hop technically covers such a small niche in terms of radio airplay. I don't know if people realize that, but in like when it's pitted against country and it's pitted against pop, it really is a much smaller audience. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if hip hop just kind of defaults to who they know and for whatever reason, that tends to be male mm-hmm. because people associate, you know, hip hop with male and hyper masculinity and so forth. Well, I think it's interesting that um that you say that hip hop, especially with radio play, is still so 
niche and that we're still seeing such a homogenous presentation label wise of having Mm. like those same names like, I mean, Eminem, Drake, Jay-Z, etc. While it seems like hip hop is what everybody now is listening to. Yeah. Like, that's what the kids, <laughs> kids with a Z, that's what kids are listening to. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not so much, we, we, we're not getting so excited about like new country music or pop, even though we hear about it all the time. So I wonder why that would be where it's like hip hop is reaching this like pinnacle point being like almost saturating, not just the United States, but also these global markets. Mm-hmm. And yet we're still just being served. The same thing. I guess it's a reflection, though, too, of just maybe entertainment more broadly. Yeah, I think I think definitely. I think when you have to talk about women in hip hop, you do really have to pose those sorts of questions about the industry in in mind, because um, a lot of country listeners still purchase the music, and that's really really crucial. Whereas with hip hop, you it's it's a mixtape you know environment. You get a lot of the music for free, and a lot of the and a lot of times it's like you either tour. Or you get that pop crossover record in order to really get that substantial sort of income. Not all the time. There are plenty of independent run labels, but that's like a decade long investment as opposed to the sort of instant success that a lot of pop stars receive. So I think that's a major reason why. I mean, I agree with Kanye West as far as him saying that rap is the new rock and roll. And every time I go to shows, like I see audiences that are young and I believe that you know, hip hop is that youth culture that it is right now. It's just that um, people are taking in music a lot more differently than they once did. And so um, like country, like they're still getting in the dollars because people are so willing to pay for it. Whereas with hip hop, it's been free for quite a while that you sort of have to work on top of that. And that becomes really difficult to deal with for a lot of artists. Well, you mentioned touring. I mean, are there... What are what are the tour opportunities even like for female hip hop artists as opposed to because I feel like so many of the hip hop tours you hear about are those really big names. I mean, are mm-hmm. there who are some of the female artists out there touring? I mean, besides from besides from Nicki Minaj, honestly, and it's really sad to say this, but I just haven't heard a lot about them. The one experience that I've had maybe was at A3C, which is a hip hop festival based here in Atlanta. Um, they had regional showcases. And the Chicago showcase actually was like a good portion female acts. Not only that, but I was like showing up in line and there were dudes like running up past me being like, <laughs> has this girl gone on yet or whatever? So that was um that's very unusual. That's very unusual. Hmm. Well, when it comes to criticism, uh, music sure. criticism of female rappers, have you noticed a different way that they are maybe listened to or critiqued? Are they held to a different standard than male rappers? Um, I think that as far as being critiqued, it it becomes it becomes very tricky. And it's um it's kind of again it's kind of sad that I keep having to default to Mickey Minaj, but honestly she is like the biggest example of what it's like to be a female in hip hop right now. But it's like when she released her albums and she made this very deliberate uh, step toward pop, she was she received a critical backlash. She was like, well, people were like, what are you doing? You're selling out. You know that you can. Um, do so much more. You know that you can wrap the best out of anybody here. Why are you going to sell out like that? And the funny part of that is, is that she's basically sort of doing the same thing that a lot of the most successful rappers are doing right now. I think people tend to forget that, 
you know, Jay-Z does a track with Mariah Carey and like B.O.B. breaks out of the Atlanta rap scene by doing a song with Bruno Mars or Michael Maida collaborates with Miley Cyrus. It's just that for the most part in hip hop, it seems as if the industry's accepted that in order to make it, you have to be a crossover star. That is just what you have to do. But when it came to Nicki Minaj, suddenly it became a gendered issue. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it became like, oh, well, you just want to be one of them as opposed to, wow, you're reaching your commercial potential. So that's the biggest difference that I've seen. Um, maybe some smaller differences include like Iggy Azalea having to go to Hot 97, like with her label boss, T.I., which like, you know, is a great idea. And I understand that T.I. has to be there, but I've also never seen that sort of supervision with male rappers before. Well, and I wonder, too, if there's so much scrutiny on Nicki Minaj and so much criticism just directed at her because, like you say, she's it. So who else are they going to? It's like she can't deflect onto any other like female artist and say, well, look at what they're doing, because she's really it seems like setting the standard right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it goes back to, um, you know, Hot 97 Summer Jam from like last year where she is the headliner, you know, and. But at the same time, you know, you had DJ Peter Rosenberg being like, I know you chicks are out there waiting mm-hmm. to hear what Starships is sound like. And yeah, there's nobody else who is dealing with that right now. Not that sort of critique. Didn't she end up, this might be a side note and if I'm wrong, but didn't she end up, uh, just canceling that and not showing? Yeah. Little, Lil Wayne, um, she conferred with Lil Wayne and Lil Wayne told her, don't do it because she had overheard exactly what happened. And it led to this whole big feud. Where it's like the DJs were saying like Nikki was wrong to do that. And then finally it was like Nikki and Funkmaster Flex had to have like this lengthy, lengthy talk about what the motivations were behind the whole thing where Nikki's like, you can't critique me like that. And then Funkmaster Flex is like, it's not because you're a woman, Nikki. Not because you're a woman. Well, exactly. And the story that I was reading about that was like, yeah, that well, that's how the conversation was going. But. Well, if she were not a woman, would he have been speaking to her that way? Like, cause they were, the, the story I read was basically saying if it were Lil Wayne on the phone, mm-hmm. would the DJ have kept interrupting him, kept right. insisting, kept yelling? Right. You know, whereas he has this, this female artist on the phone. Yeah. And he's basically giving her the what for. Yeah. And she was even saying like throughout, like, you know, you could have gotten Lil Wayne on the phone to talk about this because it was his decision. It wasn't like I went along with it because, you know, he's my boss. Um, but, and he, and, you know, she was just repeating what she's kind of said in like documentaries before, whereas if you're a woman and you speak up for yourself, you're automatically a bitch. But if you are a male and you're being assertive then you're being a boss right? and nobody like, you know, faults Donald Trump for acting the same way that Martha Stewart does, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and that like Nicki Minajism applies to so many podcasts, yeah, just life. topics, yeah, that yeah. we talked about. Um, but what about though, in terms of we've talked about the legitimacy of female rappers and I, legitimacy in quotes in terms of how it's perceived by the industry. Mm-hmm. But what about with female rap fans? Because this is something that I've noticed anecdotally mm-hmm. among just with within music in general. Yeah. 
oftentimes if you are a female who likes a certain genre of music, you're just called kind of written off as a fangirl. Um, and oh. there was recently though, when it comes to rap, there was a complex magazine listicle about like 10 signs that your girlfriend is listening to too much rap. Basically <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Basically just taking down all of like saying like, well, she likes Lil Wayne, but does she like it too much? And what? yeah, essentially just criticizing women for for liking a liking rap and saying that they can't be legitimate fans. And then if they like it too much, then they're sort of violating their their role. And especially from your perspective as someone who has been in studios, you've mm-hmm. been at shows, you've been in this environment. Uh, have you noticed female fans just being written off as just being groupies, girlfriends, mm-hmm. not legit rap enthusiasts? Um, I can't say that I've encountered that personally, um, because fortunately, a lot of the people in the industry, at least in Atlanta, from what I, I've seen, are very respectful, very kind. As soon as they say I'm a writer, I say that I'm a writer. Like, they're totally open to hearing about things that I've done and what my perspectives are on hip hop. I've had a lot of debates in studios, which is amazing and wonderful. Um, I mean, that being said, um, I do just see that sort of treatment more often in shows than in anything else. It hasn't really um, come from artists per se, but like, for example, I went to um, a show a couple days ago and uh, producer Mike Will made it. He's inviting like these huge names to come and join him from like Project Pat to 2 Chains to T.I. to Jeezy. They're all here to celebrate like this release that he has coming out. And um, for a second, it looked like a post, like the closest thing I've seen to this post-racial society that everyone keeps writing about. Like I look out in the crowd and there's blacks, there's whites, there's more Asians at a show that I've seen in a really long time. Um, there's a black and white gay couple like right beside me. And I was like, oh my God, this is so wonderful. The future is going to be really terrific. <laughs> and then they start pulling female fans up into the crowd away from their boyfriends. And immediately it's just like Miley Cyrus at that Juicy J show where they just kind of turn around and bend over and do their thing. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is never going to go away. Um, I mean, that being said, I often find that just in my personal experience that like I have to err toward the same, toward the safe side and that like I have to talk about more extensively about, you know, beats, rhymes and lyrics and like, um, and some of the reasons why I may even be drawn to like surf club songs and like why songs for the ladies like just aren't enough to like, you know, get a woman to feel like they're included and things like that. Um, I do feel like I just have to, um, explain myself a lot more as far as like, why I, why I like hip hop when it does seem like a, does seem like a boys club. I've even had like a debate with, um, a fellow hip hop journalist who was like, talking about an ex who was really drawn to those same strip club songs and was like, you sure you really want to hear this or whatever? And I'm just like, I guess what you have to understand is that people like songs for the ladies, like we can't be summed up in one song. We're not all like, we don't all like that same like slow R&B breakdown or whatever. Like it's as cliche as bringing like chocolates and flowers on Valentine's Mm -hmm. day or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I just think that there's a lot more, um, explaining a rationale and like I think like a lot of male fans just have to understand that like you know just like everybody else 
we all like music for many different reasons. Like I like hip hop because I like, um, I like all of its talk about money and I like how it makes me feel. And I like, you know, just the beats, the rhymes, the wordplay, any number of reasons, any number of factors. Do you have to though every now and then sort of put blinders on in a way, willfully ignore the naked women, half naked women on stage and how they're talking, not just about their money, but also how women want them for their money and like the money. Like, how do you reconcile just personally those aspects, those more problematic aspects of hip hop culture that are not very respectful toward women and are very objectifying of women? Because this is something anytime you read about hip hop and women and feminism, it always circles back to that portrayal of women as just being sex objects, essentially. Um, I think I think when it comes to that sort of reconciliation, I do have to be um, really careful. Um, I say that because a lot of the problems that we had with twerking this past year stems from just this one point of view about what twerking actually means. Um, pitchfork put up this great article um, by writer Pooja Patel. She visits New Orleans and it's this Red Bull event that has like Manny Fresh and like Big Frida. Like New Orleans, you know, is the home of bounce music and where twerking stems from. Okay. So, you know, she's on the ground and she's like asking them like, you know, what do you make of this national sensation that twerking is now like 20 years later? And um, the basic, the basis of their argument was like, you know, like it is really interesting that the nations basically sexualize this form of dancing way more than we intended. Like we just look at it as like fun, like recreation. You can see your four year old do it. The grandma's going to teach her how. <laughs> but it's funny how the rest of the nation sort of interprets it as this one thing. It's like that, like she's only meant to provoke or like ask for sex. Mm-hmm. So um when I'm considering how a male rapper talks about women and money. Like I really do have to sort of take everything in and consider what that all means. Like a lot of hip hop is about these origin stories where people came from the fact that they quote started from the bottom or whatever. And um, I also have to consider that, you know, for one, like a Hugh Hefner ideal to these people who grew up in the projects is going to mean so much more than to somebody who grew up in a middle-class buttoned-up upbringing. You know what I mean? So I do deal with it on a case-by-case basis. And more often than not, I feel like I could sort of be okay with it. doesn't go for every rapper, basically, but I take a lot of that into consideration. And maybe I take it in more into consideration because I'm a female, because I'm trying to sort of maybe reconcile with myself. Like, okay, why am I drawn to this? Like, and and all that good stuff. Yeah, and the thing is, too, hip-hop is certainly not alone in terms of musical genres with problematic relationships with women. And yet, I feel like it gets more scrutiny than any other type. But even if you go back, sometimes I'll be listening to the radio to like an oldie station and just pay attention to the lyrics, and it gets creepy, even in just like really simple radio. Well, even even Christmas music, baby, it's cold outside. Like that's a date rape song, right? So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it gets it gets weird all around. Okay, well, speaking of that relationship uh, that hip hop has with women and vice versa, do you think a that hip hop will ever kind of distance itself 
from that objectification? And B, does it need to? Um, it honestly depends on how the music industry um, fares over the next couple of years. Because in history, it's in hip hop's history, rather, the songs that have always sold the best have always been the ones about objectifying women in some way, shape or form, if not interpreted as such. This dates all the way back over to like from like to two live crew. But then you could trace it from juvenile to Jay-Z. Like if you look like those are the biggest selling songs. So for as long as the music industry may be looking for ways to make money, I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Um, whether it needs to, um, that I, I just have a really tough time answering because again, I, I really try to look at it as like an individual, um, basis. Like, like what does this all mean? What, like, what does it mean for somebody to want a gaggle of, you know, women ready for the VIP section? You know what I mean? Maybe that's giving people, um, a little bit more credit than they deserve. Um, but at the same time, I think, Basically, what I'm pining for, honestly, is just a more well-rounded um, sort of landscape where you can you can have like GCJ bands and make her dance, but you could also have like if Outkast comes back, that would be wonderful because like throughout their entire discography, I mean, they get angry at women and they they pine for women and all that other stuff, but they're just ex- overall just like exploring their relationship um, with women, and sometimes that has its uglier moments. But I mean, overall, it's it's a more human perspective, I guess. And so um, I think more voices is more important, perhaps, than distancing itself from like the sexual objectification. And so maybe then everybody else who's listening to hip hop and taking it all in could have that same well-rounded perspective of what the genre has to offer. I wonder, though, I mean, you're talking about uh, how it'll probably largely depend on the direction that the mu- music industry mm-hmm. is going. And it, it, it doesn't seem like people are wanting to buy records more than they used to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you mentioned it, that, that it will largely depend on the direction of the music industry. And it seems like there has not been a radical change to where mm-hmm. uh, younger kids suddenly want to spend their allowances on buying CDs uh-huh. and records. So that, that is probably going to still stay the same where it's with, where it's a challenge to sell actual music. And so as a result, as we talked about earlier, we're getting this very homogenized, almost recycled list of male rappers that we're seeing over and over again. So mm-hmm. what would it take, do you think, to provide that kind of diversity that you would like to see more of? Um, I actually think that the direction that it's heading right now is really promising. Um, along with this year, for... For there being such a lack of female voices, there was also this really um, exciting trend where suddenly lyricism became the priority. Not that it always has to be, but, you know, when you when you focus on lyrics, you by default have to focus more on like the storytelling aspects of it all. And so um, what I'm seeing a lot of, you know, in relation to that is that um, there are more actions touring in general, and that becomes especially important for independent artists, um, and especially those who present a different point of view than what radio might be, um, might be selling. Um, the greatest examples probably being like Chance the Rapper, but also, um, Killer Mike out of here in Atlanta and all the stuff that he's done with, um, LP, uh, through Run the Jewels. Um, they're touring and people are paying for that. Young people are paying for that. So if it does continue in that sort of direction where touring becomes, you know, a bigger money maker than maybe these, 
these records in itself, then, um, you know, may- maybe we will start to see the sort of changes that I want. Well, so as far as people who are women in particular who mm-hmm. are in the hip hop world right now, who are some of your favorites? I mean, who's who's promising and up mm-hmm. and coming that you're excited about? Yeah. And who are some more established artists that you think that people need to be more aware of? Um, as far as newer artists, I admit I I definitely need to be better versed in that. Um, but um, going back to what I was talking about with um, A3C, like, again, the most exciting show that I saw was a by a girl named Katie Got Bands. She was doing a Chicago showcase, and she's not the most lyrical person out there. Um, she seems to be influenced a lot by Waka Flocka Flame, like who I always compare to Andrew W.K. <laughs> so, um, but it was so exhilarating just to see her, um, see her perform because she was totally mobbed up on stage. And as a result, the crowd became like a wave pool. Like literally everyone was like jumping up and down. I was like, I don't think I've seen anyone, period, like, excite people the way that she did. Um, so that made me really, really stoked. Um, as far as, you know, more established, like I, I'm actually a really, really huge fan of Nicki Minaj because of just how deliberately weird that she can be. <laughs> like she, like when she's, you know, trying to cross over into pop, she's not even just like dipping her toes into it as most male rappers would. She basically goes all the way. And then when she raps, she like hundred percent commits to it. And I just, and I just love that. Um, and then in general, like Lauren Hill and Missy Elliott, like Missy Elliott was supposed to release an album last year and she didn't. And it made me really, really sad because she's literally the sole reason why I try to pull off tracksuits in middle <laughs> school. <laughs> I, tr- I tried and it, it did not work. It did not work. Um, and in addition to that, I appreciate her all the more as an adult because, um, like she, she dressed as a quote unquote tomboy. She dresses run DMC used to, but at mm-hmm. the same time, she owned her sexuality. She was not afraid to ask for what she wanted. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. Well, one thing, one name we haven't mentioned. I mean, speaking about the way that an artist dresses, what's your take on Janelle Monet from here in Atlanta? I, I love the way that Janelle Monet dresses and I love the way that she's also sort of like toyed with it because I just think it's really, um, interesting how people made so many assumptions of her initially based on how she dressed. It was really interesting to see her walk in a tuxedo and then look online to see um, all these questions about whether she was a lesbian or not, as if sexuality was as black and white as her uniform. Um, So I'm a huge fan of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Missy Elliott inspiring you in middle school to try to pull off track suits, which is amazing. uh, We should have asked you this. Earlier in the podcast, what sparked your desire to want to get into hip hop journalism specifically? Well, it kind of happened on accident, to be totally (laughs) honest. It really just happened from when I moved here to Atlanta, a city where, you know, the industry runs rampant. So there's that. But, um, I guess more importantly, my, my love of, like, I felt comfortable enough going into hip-hop journalism because I've been a fan of hip-hop for so long. And I think I take to it the way that a lot of uh, the youth takes to it now in that it's just a part of culture, pop culture, like mainstream culture, independent culture, like it's everywhere. And um, I just had very specific memories of growing up in a Maryland suburb 
but then watching MTV too because I was out there trying to look for something that I wasn't finding anywhere else. And at the same time, I just remember taking to Jay-Z's The Black Album, not even because like I'm a business mogul, not because I was anywhere (laughs) near retirement, but because he was telling these stories about how he grew up without a father and being a child of divorced parents, I could 100% relate to that. So I guess like going into the journalism aspect, I knew that, you know, a lot of my favorite people are humans just like I were. And then from there on out, it's been, um, I haven't felt like discouraged enough to step away from that by any means. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we've kind of, gone around this issue and we haven't touched on it directly yet. Um, but what do you think? What's the intersection between hip hop and feminism? And and do you think feminism informs the work of a lot of female artists out there? Or do you think it's something that's kind of lacking? Yeah, because for uh, listeners who might not know, in the late 90s, the term hip hop feminism was coined because of this idea that these incredible, strong Rappers like Missy Elliott, Eve, etc., were standing up and, oh, and like with uh, Roxanne's Revenge of turning down the advances of men and kind of setting their own terms mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. things. Is, yeah, is rap at all informed by feminism? Um, I think that hip hop's had to sort of debate over that for a really long time. And it's just like, just like with a lot of pop stars right now who, like, for some reason over the past year, I've had to clarify whether they're feminists, whether they're not feminists, and not show the clearest grasp of what that means, per se. Like, I, I feel like rappers have to deal with that a lot. And I feel like the ways that it's manifested is so interesting because suddenly it always becomes a question of how much do you play up your sexuality? Like, the, the, it's, it, it's very tricky because you had, you had rappers like Trina who displayed and owned her sexuality because she was very much inspired by Millie Jackson, who was not afraid to make records about sex and wanting sex and craving sex. But then you also have the, but then there's also those same sort of pressures and they, you know, happen upon people that aren't as comfortable with that or whatever. So <sighs> it's, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like they've inner, like, it intersects, but in a way that just makes us crave it all the more because it is sort of a rarity, kind of what I was mentioning before with, with Outcast. Actually, um, Alyssa Rosenberg for Think Progress wrote a really great article about why she's looking forward to the Outcast reunion, being a feminist hip hop fan. And it was going back to what I was saying before. It was just that they, these women were actual like 3D characters in their raps as opposed to being mere accessories mm-hmm. you know um not just saying that like in the words of dr dre bitches ain't but hoes and tricks so um yeah um it's intersected before um it, but it's just right now like it's i think like with all with pop in general we're still trying to get a firm grasp and tell everybody like this is what feminism means it's okay it's going to be fine <laughs> 
Well, and I think to have someone like Nicki Minaj, even though she is the name that comes up over and over and over again because she really is the the one female powerhouse out there in hip hop, but at least she is the one talking about how the fact of the matter is is that if you are being an outspoken, powerful woman as she is, you are criticized. Whereas if you're Lil Wayne or Jay Z and calling the shots, then you're just a boss. Right, right. Thank goodness for her. Like there's this YouTube video that's eight minutes long and it's called um I believe it's called Dicky Minaj Feminist Icon. And um, after this year, not dealing with any personal interactions with Say, but just like kind of taking in music in general and especially mainstream hip hop, where I felt like it was it was tough to be a female hip hop fan. Like I would watch that video just like over and over (laughs) and over again, like, oh, thank God you're here. Um, I point in particular to um, this verse that Rick Ross had said and like. That Rocco song, you don't know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, where um, he says he puts a molly in her champagne and things like that. Um, so kind of hearing that everywhere, um, just even though Reebok dropped him from his endorsement veil, and even though rappers filed into the studio to basically record a new version of the song that omitted his verse, um, it, I still heard it. And mm-hmm. um, thank goodness for that YouTube video. well christina thank you so much for coming on the show is there anything about women hip-hop culture rappers mcs breakdancers graffiti etc that we didn't ask you about any any parting words for our audience on the relationship between women and hip-hop i think that in general um hip-hop and the industry that powers it just sort of needs to keep in mind that women are more complicated beings than the most people make us out to be. Um, it is tough working in genres that in which male perspective is the default and maybe where it's also just a reflection of like pop culture in general. Um, but more often than not, what the majority of the country is hearing is just this idea, again, that Females are these accessories or they only like this thing and they're only like that thing. And they're completely not looking out toward the crowd, seeing that females dance to the quote unquote strip club songs just because they sound way more fun. So I, I, I think those are, I think that is something that I would want to emphasize that, you know, there are females that don't want to be sexualized and there are females who want to own their sexuality well, and it sounds like in the same way that the industry needs to recognize that women are more complex than just being hoes and tricks is that we as the listening public also needs to recognize that hip hop and hip hop culture and where that comes from is more complex Absolutely. than just, you know, people who are wanting to go to a strip club and meet you in the VIP room and then that's it and that's Absolutely. and that it's all bad. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to um we definitely need to, you know, revisit some of hip hop history and see the ways that mainstream hip hop, like even like, it's funny how, um, when we talk about hip hop, we talk about this really problematic history that has with misogyny and sexism and things like that. Um, but I was on a juvenile music video watching binge like a couple (laughs) weeks ago and I was watching like all from all the way to the beginning over to slow motion. And I thought I was setting myself up for trouble, I guess, because I just haven't heard back that ass up since high school, maybe. <laughs> um, but something that just struck me 
more than anything else was that the women that he featured in these videos, whether they were facing the camera or not facing the camera, was that he looked as if he pulled them directly off the street. Like they were in jeans and T-shirts and sundresses paired in sneakers and they weren't made up and they were just there. They were there just doing their thing. And it it struck me because when I watch music videos now or I watch music videos, depictions of hip hop music videos now, like I just see this one Dalda VIP club ready image or whatever. So I think it I think Juvenile was in the right. Well, to wrap it up, uh, uh, <clears throat> um, we want to hear from our listeners now. Any hip hop and rap fans out there, let us know what you think about our discussion with Christina, the hip hop journalist extraordinaire. Yeah. And if you have any favorite female rappers or hip hop artists, et cetera, that we did not name check, definitely let us know as well, because we need more names. I feel like we, we need more recommendations of women to listen to because women have rhymes. We've got beats. I mean, I don't personally, but yes, I admit that other women do. <laughs> I Yeah, my dream talent is to be able to freestyle. And I try it every now and then. And mm-mm. I can't even snap in time with music or, I, or tap my foot. So I don't know. I always start out with my name is Kristen and I'm here to say... <laughs> And then I got nothing to say. So if you also have any suggestions for sweet rhymes for me, email us momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast and find us on Facebook. Messages there. Like us while you're at it. And we've got a few messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to our letters. Well, I've got an email here from Jillian about our episode on whether women apologize more than men. And like me, she tends to be overly apologetic. She writes, I noticed this about myself a couple years ago and have made a conscious effort to try and stop myself. Unless, of course, I really need to apologize. One thing that happens to me a lot is that I'm a really fast walker, probably because I'm short and most people are much taller than me and I need to keep up. Also, probably because I've been a distance runner for 16 years and further because I'm a Bostonian and stereotypically am always on the go. Anyway, I find myself turning corners fast or walking quickly through the halls of my hospital on my way to meetings, and I have several close call collisions, so I found myself always saying sorry when I ran into people and noticed it more often than not because when I ran into men, I never got a sorry back. But when I ran into women, we were both sorrying each other to death. So, I consciously decided to say something different. Now when I run into someone, I say, whoops, and give a big smile, and find that with women, it's a similar nonverbal exchange. And for men who don't normally say they're sorry when they run into me, I feel less overly apologetic, but still conscious that I almost ran into them. So, thanks for that, Jillian. And I know what she's talking about. Yeah. I have the close calls as well. And I do apologize. I do say I'm sorry. I say excuse me and giggle nervously and turn red and then keep walking. <laughs> it's a whole scenario. Do it, Jillian. Just say whoops. 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 And then throw my hands in the air and do a little jig. Yes. Anyway. Um, well, I have a letter here from Mariah. She was writing in in response to our uh, pants and skirt episode, the history of pants. 
And it sounds like, Kristen, you and I mispronounced a couple things, and she wanted to clarify as well as give us some definitions. Yeah, because what we mispronounced, I believe, was some old English. Yeah, so how did we ever mispronounce that? I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Mariah says, you mentioned the old English word, and I'm going to pronounce it the way we pronounced it or mispronounced it, skirt. You said that this is where our modern skirt comes from. In Old English, the SC combination sounds like our SH. In other words, the Old English word skirt or shirt actually refers to the word shirt. Are you, are you following? Is everybody following? I'm following. Um, well, she says, in Old English, a shirt pronounced shirta. Okay, sorry. So, in Old English, a shirta referred to a tunic. Shirt and skirt absolutely have the same etymological history. However, your use of shirta to refer to skirts kept throwing me off every time I heard it. By the way, Old Norse, Old English, and Anglo-Saxon have an absolutely fascinating history, and I highly recommend a little bit of just-for-fun research. And, yeah, I think we mentioned that... Okay, let me put shirta. I think we mentioned that that was, like, a long tunic because I remember making a joke about how it made me think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the peasants by the side of the road in the mud. So we were yes, I'm very sorry that we mispronounced Shirta. Hey, don't apologize. Oh, you're right. Whoops! Whoops! There we go. Thank you, Jillian. <laughs> and thanks to everybody who has written in. Discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and find us on Facebook as well. And you can keep up with us during the week on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou and Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And as always, we have so many videos for your viewing pleasure over at YouTube, so you should check out our channel. It's YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 